Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We are so glad that you're here worshiping with us. Um, and we are, we are expectant this morning, um, or today, of the good things that God is going to do here with us. Um, we just want to ask that you would uh, stand with us as we hear our, hear our opening psalm and as we come to sing together. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Thanks be to God. Um, just a couple housekeeping things. Uh, we just want to make sure that you know, if you've not worshipped with us before, or if you have and you've never found a way to connect, um, if you run to our website, cordovanaz.com, there are three buttons up there at the top, and the two that really matter, you can subscribe to our newsletter, and that's going to get you connected to all the things that we're doing throughout the week. It's going to allow us to make sure that you have the information you need to continue to worship with us on a regular basis. You can also um, do one other thing that is has left my head. Um, and so <laughs> you can fill out a communication card. Thank you. Um, and just give us just give us a shout out. We would love to send you something um, in the mail and make sure that we that you know that we appreciate you being with us, even if it is only in this sort of mediated digital form right now. Uh, we want to ask you to sing with us this morning. Holy is the Lord. We stand and lift up our hands, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He, and together we sing, everyone sing. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with His glory. i 
We're going to continue to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed over us this morning. Acts 1, 1 to 14. The former trees have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come, come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into the heaven. They returned, they then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when, when they came in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, 
and Simon Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The book of First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer for as a meddler. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The Word of God. Words may be one of the greatest miracles that God has given to us. Like all the wildlife, plants, and critters around us, we can go outside into the sun and enjoy the warmth and the light hitting our skin. But even more than that, with the ability to think and to speak, our enjoyment is incredibly enriched. Take, for instance, that with our words, our thinking, our speech, we can organize and socialize. The light of the sun can become a skywide illumination for a wedding or for a sunrise service. The heat of its rays, an atmospheric heater for a children's pool party or for a family reunion. The sun's warmth and light opens ever greater avenues for joy and delight in our lives with our words. Words have this undeniable power to them. With one sentence, a life can be spared or saved. And with one sentence, millions freed from the tyranny of rule or of rulers. And because words are this extraordinary gift of power that God has given us, like nuclear energy, if it's misused or used for nefarious purposes, it can leave this wide path of destruction in our lives. The Psalms so often record the power of words misused, such as from Psalm 120, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, O you deceitful tongue? Who has not experienced the havoc of words misused? Take, for instance, whether or not you might be able to relate to King David, who, after having slept with Bathsheba, and she conceived, had quite a dilemma, facing the possibility that he would be confronted by those that he had wronged, provoking Uriah and his other leaders' sense of betrayal and disgust at him, a public embarrassment and a disgrace, an opportunity for political rivals to exploit his error and turn public opinion against him. What should David do? When everything is on the line, instead of speaking the truth, what about creating a scheme that will bury the truth 
and the consequences. Of course, this works as well as all of you know and would imagine. The only thing David ends up bearing is one of his most faithful and upright servants, a number of soldiers caught in the crossfire of his schemes and his stillborn son. Have you ever shared the urge to use words to cover something that you're ashamed of, that you feel guilty about, that you regret some wrongdoing that you've done? To have had a flash of bad judgment afterwards, tried to escape the, the consequences so much that you do anything from keeping it known, hidden, spinning false story, which of course only leads to more false stories. We desire to be honest and truthful and straightforward in our speech. But racked like David and ourselves in a tangle of inner turmoil about what we've done, insecurities and self-doubt, self-involvement, we end up with a countless number of disguises, alibis, stories, and we build these burial sites to deal with the collateral damage from our attempts to convince others that we're a fantasy version of who we'd like to be. Or how about this one? The Israelites delivered from slavery, out of Egypt and in the wilderness on the edge of survival, past their physical limit, past their emotional limit, in an unfamiliar environment. They were the most wanted by the strongest military in the area. They have an uncertain, they have an uncertain future, and every solution to the problems that comes up are only temporary ones. How should they respond? How do they live? How should they speak? What about complaining? Just about everything. It's too hot, it's too dry, there's no water. We're out here in the middle, did you lead us out here to die? The guy next to me is playing his lyre too loudly. The people in front of me are going too slow and won't allow me to pass. This guy's tailgating my wagon. That guy seems shifty, he's gonna steal my cattle. Where did Moses go? There are too many laws. The Canaanites are too powerful. It goes on and on and on. And what's the end result in this case? A two-week journey to the promised land, the place that was made and set apart for them becomes a 40-year excursion or an extended vacation into the wilderness, an exposure to every possible threat and danger you can imagine. What's the end result? A life that talked itself out of living into the promised land. What then for us? How many of you have ever felt like you almost have a recording on repeat in your brain, rehearsing the list of everything that's not right in the world or in your life? It's too hot. It's too cold. They're too petty. The leaders aren't trustworthy. That wasn't fair. I'm too tired. You're too demanding. On a scale of 1 to 10, let me ask you this, how much has replaying those complaints enriched your life, boosted your strength or spirit, or just resolved any of those issues? Finally, what about this? Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel, the guy at the very top of the ladder, the king of everything he could see and also what he couldn't. More authority and power than I could probably ever imagine. But the question that whispers in all of our ears, also whispers in his. Is it enough? Are you enough? Do you really matter? Is your life of any value? 
Even for Nebuchadnezzar, the question would be answered by all of his subjects, either to please him, to use him, or communicate ambition to dethrone him. Even he wouldn't be able to get a straight answer, let alone the answer for which the riches of the world would be traded. And in that moment, when we, when he just wants to affirm and validate that one small thing that we were born for, yes, I've matter, I've done valuable things, Nebuchadnezzar tries to speak it himself into reality. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence? by my mighty power and for my glory and my majesty. And what comes next in that moment? But the greatest period of humiliation and the realization in his life of his impotence, his impermanence, and his unimportance in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes wouldn't it be great just to hear those words in every conversation you have? You've been such a blessing and a gift of God to me and to everyone around you. And I, am so, and, I, and I am so thankful for you. But because it's so few and far between, how often do we, like Nebuchadnezzar, want to say it to ourselves just so that it can be said somewhere in some place about us, about what we've done, about the relationships we've shared, about where we've been, what we think, who we are. But the echo chamber of our ego never really satisfies the itch to matter. It just leaves us more and more depleted in emptiness and in insignificance, trying to achieve that sense of value and place somehow. Words certainly have power. And they can certainly, like David, like the Israelites, and like Nebuchadnezzar show, go wrong. But in the gospel reading for this morning, Jesus takes us to the very fountain and the origin of language itself and shows us what words are for and how they can go right and be an instrument for God's power and work in the world and in your life today. Listen now as the gospel is read. Our gospel reading today is from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have is given, everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is the gospel of our Lord. 
Thanks be to God. My life is yours. My hope is in you only. My heart you hold. You made this sinner holy. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
to my knees in awe. The heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Because your glory is so beautiful. Your glory is so beautiful. In the gospel passage this morning, Jesus prays. And it's a model for all speech, all languages, all conversations, all word, because here, Jesus, the word of God, speaking to the Father, the one who has authored all words, reveals why words were given to us in the first place. Jesus teaches us in this sacred moment, after all the wrong ways that we've learned to use how to use them as they were intended so that they may bless God, our lives, and others, and become instruments of righteousness for God's work in the world. The first thing I want you to hear this morning in Jesus' prayer to the Father is, glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and for the words that you gave me, I have given to them. In Jesus' prayer, the primary referent, the primary agent, the primary focus is the Father, not himself. Read that prayer again and it will probably sound strange or repetitious or redundant to you. And that might be partly the point. Consider from our view that if you recorded and played back any of the conversations that you've probably ever had with me, you almost certainly wouldn't find strange or repetitious, redundant that to string together just two or three paragraphs, all the I statements would come out from me. I feel that, I think that, I want, I need, or the many commands that I make, do this, do that, stop that, be here, come here. Those wouldn't be considered redundant, but Jesus is here might seem so. It's something of a matter of perspective. And here what I would suggest to you is that Christ's language is our language but redeemed and perfected, where you and I are no longer the center. In his prayer, we see Jesus decentered, or maybe better, God-centered, in everything that he says. And so blessedly emptied of himself in this prayer and in his life, as his words show his life and work are not about him, but about God. He is filled with the power 
the peace and the purpose of God. The one thing that not even Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, could ever take or own was the validation that he was enough, that he mattered, that he was valuable. But as Christ's prayer and speech to the Father overflows with the power and purposes of God in and through him, into this broken world and his soon-to-be-broken body, Christ receives the fullness the dignity, the love, and the status that he always had and always will have. Ironically, in this self-emptying, Christ is ultimately exalted by the Father, the only one who truly matters, and also ultimately by us and on the last day, all of creation. You see, Christ doesn't have to exalt or convince himself that he is the captain of his own destiny or that he's accomplished amazing things or matters to a lot of people. God already has all those things and has given all these things to him and also to us. And as Christ uses his words, so we see his very speech bringing about this truth and reality into his life and his ministry. And if we would see it too in us, we would do well to practice Christ's own prayer here in our prayer. Speaking not from a position of God being an accessory to our will, or entering into some kind of negotiation procedure, but from the position of God making himself known and his will in us and through us for the sake of the world. Second, I want you to notice how Jesus begins his prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What does he mean by hour? It's the climax of his ministry, his passion. This is Jesus' final prayer before his betrayal, arrest, sham trial, condemnation, suffering, crucifixion, and death. Do you want a master class from Jesus in prayer and speech and in life in the present age? This is it. Part of our temptation to complain and pick apart everything around us, to see the negative before the positive, comes naturally from the world teaching us over and over to be crippled and bound by fixating on our limitations. We get tired, we get hot, we get hungry, we get old, we get overlooked, we get sick, we get separated, we get hurt, we die, and the fact that we can't change any of those things. But Jesus here in his prayer offers something different. He is not praying as one untouched by the troubles of the world, and his words are not just of somebody distantly observing our sad plight. The hour has come, and it's going to be his suffering and his death. And yet he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son might glorify you. Jesus' prayer, his speech, his words aren't fixated on the limitations of the situation or the circumstances or even himself as we've already pointed out. His prayer, his concern, and his words lift up the God who can bring greater glory out of the greatest weakness, out of the greatest failure, or the greatest evil, even one perpetrated against him, the Savior of the world. What if Israel had done that in the wilderness? What if we did when we find ourselves held close to the fire? Jesus' prayer doesn't negate the suffering and death 
that he's about to experience. But Jesus prays that in this hour, even as passion might be offered so that God is glorified, because God will be glorified, both in the beginning and in the end. And if so, then maybe God's triumph here in this passion will be unmistakable, recognized, and revealed to everyone as it finally will be. To pray like Christ and to use our words is to name the impermanent obstacles, the difficulties, the trials that we face in this life as an opportunity for God's glory, love, and grace to flood our world. It may not negate them, but God will overcome them. And such prayer and language allows us to live right now into God's triumph over evil wickedness with praise, thanksgiving, and joy that has been done in Christ Jesus. Finally, Christ here in his prayer speaks the honest truth. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. The word that at some level must be spoken over and over again in all of our lives. Christ completely offers and commits himself to the Father. He already knows that his moment is coming where, like David, everything is on the line. His life, his teaching, his ministry, his disciples, his impact, his future, and his legacy. And so the question comes, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? If there was ever an opportunity to tell or stretch some kind of half-truth or give a wordplay to try to get out of the coming passion, this is it. And all the shame, all the guilt, all the regret, all the foolishness, all the selfishness in our lives that we try to run away from, that we try to hide or bury or deny, Christ bears in this moment for us, not because it's right, but because he is God. And he takes it upon himself. And bearing every reason imaginable to lie, he speaks the greater truth in this moment that will be taken as a lie, whereas I so often want my lies to be taken as a truth. And now he will be mocked and spit upon for saying the truth, where I should have received that for all the ways that I've been less than the person I should have been. Because Jesus here knows the one who is judge and will be his vindicator. This morning, in his glorious truth, Christ invites us to freedom. When confronted with the truth about who we are, there is no longer a reason to hide in shame, in fear, in regret, in resignation about the consequences that that truth might bring. Ultimately, because of Christ, we are going to God. And God can judge and redeem even the dark and hidden places of our lives. And as Christ himself prays, it's not just for one far off and future day. Even here and even now, we are invited to step into the truth of that freedom. Knowing that God is the one who will have the final word on us and on everything. And is able to set us free. Christ in his prayer has shown us the power and the gift of the words that God gave us. And when used rightly and spoken truly, they can become this instrument of God's grace and life in the world. There is perhaps no greater place this happens than in the moments when Christ tells us, this is my body.
and this is my blood. For through his kingdom-making words, we are given the very life of God for our life. Won't you join us this morning as we come to the table? The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, having forsaken their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and establish the new... (laughs) Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Receive this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful.
Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your We want to 
thank you for worshiping uh, together with us. Um, you know, we continue to do what we can um, to be able to gather and uh, throughout the week. Our uh, Wednesday Bible study is still going. That's 7 o'clock on Zoom uh, Wednesday nights. There's also a Wednesday morning prayer meeting and, uh, and a Sunday school at 9 o'clock on Zoom. All of those links are in the newsletter, so if you sign up, you will have those. Youth group is also going now, 4 o'clock on Wednesdays, um, so we would love any youth or youth helpers, those that want to be involved in that ministry, uh, to be a part of what we're doing there. Thank you so much for worshiping. We are hopeful that, um, that this will come to an end soon, and that within, within a few weeks that we'll be able to gather together. So please keep an eye out. Uh, maybe just for an explanation of how it is that we're going to make that transition back to being gathered bodily, personally, um, in one space together again. Let me just offer a benediction here. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.